Hello everyone, having quite established in the preceding twelve or so podcast discussions that Babylon the Great cannot but be the United States of America, the question before us today is, how? Knowing as we do that the dirty and dangerous work of fulfilling God's demand for the total eradication of Babylon, the Great has been duly dedicated to the nations of the world, and realizing that if indeed she is these United States of America, militarily and economically, ostensibly, the most powerful nation on the planet, with Hiroshima and Nagasaki, Japan, firmly in their rearview mirrors, how do the nations coalesce so as to carry out so perilous a mandate? In today's episode number 19 in our multi-part series involving a thorough consideration of the 18th chapter of the book of the Revelation, knowing as we do, having seen earlier the why, we will begin the process of forming some idea as to the how in terms of the mechanisms and the manner in which the nations will have to carry out their arduous, deadly assignment in the biblical stipulation of one hour. The Achilles' Heel. Imagine, you are God. Preface. So, we have seen and we have established, on multiple fronts, the identity of Babylon the Great. We now understand how and why she has nothing to do with Babylon, Iraq, nor is she in any wise related to the mystery figure unveiled in chapter 17. All that having been settled then, the question looming before us at this hour is, how? How is it that Almighty God plans to bring down this end-times beast of a nation in under one hour at the hands of her closest allies and trading partners? If she is essential to Israel's survival now, what happens when she is pulverized? And so it is with these questions dogging our minds that we commence our journey through this last section of the study of the book of the Revelation thusly. Plan A and Plan B. Think, imagine, you are God, concurrent with the return of your people from a 2,000-year slumber, exiled in foreign lands. You have implemented Plan A, making provision that assured the rise of a strong nation, the most powerful on the planet, as promised, per your specification, her seed having been planted as early as the 1600s, reminiscent of the dangerous days of Haman and the Assyrians, and the Romans under Titus, this strong nation will be essential to the survival and preservation of your people once they are resettled. All that done, you have moved on now to Plan B, in which a stern ultimatum has been issued. That nation comparable to nothing in the known universe, the mightiest ever, must be destroyed. In spite of her professed Christian underpinnings, the fruits of this new nation's impending destruction began to blossom and come to fruition soon after her planting flourishing throughout the then-coming 400-plus years. The total irreversible, unstoppable, horrifying collapse of that high-profiled, prideful nation from start to finish, 4.5 centuries or so in the making, must be, can and will be, confined to the space of one hour. How would you accomplish that? Plan B1. For starters, you, the Almighty, have no intention of direct, hands-on intervention. You have made that clear. No! So instead, 
you have instituted another mandate, a kind of addendum to the original plan. Thus, Plan B1. The nations around this nation of nations are to perform the honors. But, being weaker even corporately, how are they going to do that in the face of certain withering reprisal she being extremely capable, well-positioned, and well-prepared? Moreover, why should they, when they rely on her stability, her economic vigor, her influence, and her savvy in international affairs? Adi, if she goes down, they go down. She falls, they fall. Whatever happens to her, happens to them. How do they circumnavigate the inevitable? The nations know her capabilities. They revere her strengths. They will not follow the lead of the ill-fated Japanese in World War II. Hiroshima is etched prominently on her gun barrels, powerful gun barrels that protrude around the world. Beyond memory, Nagasaki remains a haunting, unassuming reality. Thus, no one doubts that any serious threat realized will draw swift, deadly attention, a damning retaliation. Whatever action is begun in the night of secrecy must be supplemented concisely in the bright lights of reality. A devastating follow-up, rendering maximum debilitation in high efficiency, without compromise leaving nothing to chance, the nations don't know you, the Almighty. But by now, they know your score as they feel, your heartbeat. After all, you put it there, into the very depths of their unwitting souls. In that score, there is no plan C. You have known all along, as they surely know beyond a doubt, that they only get one chance. Thus, the nations know what must be done. They know that it must be done, and they know that they are the ones who must do it. Desire, however, is one thing. At most, it is only half the battle. The foolish, near-mindless kamikaze-like antics of the restless Muslim will never suffice, stand alone. So how do you rouse these relatively weak nations so that they emerge from a darkness of stealth, march past the glaring eyes of a crouching death they know will pounce, fierce as a tiger, at the slightest provocation, with the screech of an eagle to bring down a colossus of over 300 million strong, a Goliath of a nation sitting on abundant resources, buttressed by arrogant but powerful industries with the ingenuity to set herself free at a price from the rest of the world on virtually every front while watching it collapse in ruins, fortified and guarded by the most powerful military ever known to mankind, commanded by headstrong, godless perhaps, but no less capable generals who know it quite well and who gloat, Goliath-like. We can beat anybody on the battlefield? Russian colonel, America's hero. Is God kidding? The nations might wonder, if they knew your plan? Or are you God mad, strictly speaking? You know, like they know, that the American generals are right so long as you are left completely out of the picture. Sympathetic to their plight and considerate of the might of the objective, you open a Bible and call their attention to Gideon, the Abiyaz right, Judges 6-8. Go ask Stanislav, you insist, America's hero, Stanislav Petrov, Latorent Colonel, Army, 
commander of the ICBM Missile Brigade that was to have fried the melting pot more than 30 years ago. Thus, a.k.a. the man who saved the world, USSR, Euro 9, 26, 1983. Improbable as any such feat was 115 years ago, he certainly will not think you're so loony. Thus, you persist, the job can, and the job will be done by the nations in one hour. So imagine, you're a nation among the nations, commissioned unbeknownst to you, by God to tackle the unthinkable, the task of bringing down your most formidable of opponents, the United States of America, in under one hour. How would you comply? God, having taken himself out of the picture as per the day of reckoning, will relegate himself to a seat in a spectator's booth on the sidelines where he personally will cheerlead the jeer session in celebration of the fall of Babylon the Great. This chapter, the Achilles heel lays out in graphic detail exactly how God, in the Bible, has provided for the complete decimation of just such a massive global superpower that can only be the U.S. of A. It also covers the man who saved the world and us from premature annihilation some 30-plus years ago, proof positive, as all military pundits now know, that it, God's will, not only can, but will be done. Stanislav Petrov, God bless America. Seems we often hear that statement these days, particularly in times of unforeseeable, apparently insurmountable trouble, when we have difficulty grasping what has hit us and or why. We are most prone to hear it when something has left us at wit's end in terms of where else to turn. God bless America. What is that? Is it a command or is it a plea? Is it a summons for help in humble entreaty? Or is it yet another U.S. brand, grade D, for dumb, display of arrogance, demanding our way to a solution, godsexpense.com, in the face of no others who can deliver? Consider, when there is no trouble, no one remembers God except in a swear or when some foul-mouthed rapper or bass comedian gives him honor preceding his or her vulgar performance. No one seeks God's face when times are good and things go well for us, thus we give him no thanks, beyond lip service. No one submits to his authority. None wants his companionship. There is no thirst for his guidance preceding adversity, no hunger for his word. Through slick willy teaching programs and schemes, we, churches and Christians, keep him in view, albeit at arm's length, well out of reach of any significant control of our daily lives. Yet, in times of inevitable calamity, God bless America, it looks like a rabbit's foot of an expression, the kind one carries around for good luck only, the kind one prevails upon just when he wants something, something we know we'll find in no one else. The original poetic concept penned by a 20th century psalmist, American Jew, Irvin Berlin in 1918, exposed in 1938 when re-penned for the Kate Smith radio show per NPR Radio, Aero 9, Aero 1, 2013, the phrase was repopularized by G.W. Bush Jr. during the awful days of 9 11. 
Since then, that expression of demand is bantered about now like some form of magic formula, a verbal rabbit's foot, whereupon God is expected to hop out of some dusty old Bible, like a genie pops out of his bottle, and perform magic tricks of deliverance and healing on the parts of all who so chant. It should be noted that Mr. Bush is said to be an acknowledged bonesman, and therefore a Satan worshiper, although at one time he is said to have held membership in the Wesleyan Church. A billboard, one of several, found along I-70 in the state of Indiana puts it right, America, bless God, and, well, we should, the man who saved the world. God bless mine enemy. Beyond the reach of any time of trauma, few will acknowledge that as citizens of these United States, we have been blessed by God, God of the Holy Bible, like no other nation in the history of all mankind, the voluminous, often heinous faults of its people, notwithstanding. We of the Americas are so fundamentally ignorant of our Bibles that we fail to realize that blessing, great or small, does not automatically infer favor or right standing with God, or even a good standing in His eyes. See the sidebar below, hell-bent, God-blessed, P. 145. Thus, there is perhaps a greater, far greater reason why we Americans should heed the command from Indiana to bless God. Yea, we should even pray God's blessing upon him, who might be termed an American hero, although in fact, having possibly never set foot inside you. Territory. The man held citizenship on foreign soil a combatant and commander of an enemy military installation whose sole preoccupation was our annihilation. In view of the fact that God does, in point of fact, command that we Christians do good to our enemies, we would do well to pray, instead of, God bless America, God bless this enemy, for sure. Why? Consider. Babylon the Great, the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ prescribes that during the last days leading up to Armageddon, a great nation can and will be destroyed well within the space of one hour by fire. John's vision portrays a cocky nation, prosperous, influential, sassy but savvy and politically strong and well-connected internationally. She is powerful militarily self-reliant and oversatiated, arrogant, conceited and overconfident, spiritually, recalcitrant. Native initially only to the mind of God, this great nation was to be one like no other. Nothing like it in or prior to those days had ever been seen. None ever saw its like for almost 2,000 years following the publication of her conception. The blueprint for the eschatological events surrounding Babylon the Great fit modern-day America to a T, the lies and blindness of white evangelical preachers at all levels who refuse to see themselves in Scripture, notwithstanding. America's Hero, Russian Colonel, the online documentary 1983, The Brink of Apocalypse details how a nation like the U.S. can be almost was and will be destroyed, in exact accord with John's revelation, in chapter 18. This film shows that it was the actions, 
or lack thereof, and the knowledge of Stanislav Petrov coupled with his training, which saved the lives of perhaps 200 million-plus souls, that time. He did so under a Yuri Andropov-led Russian regime that couldn't ultimately have cared less about the wholesale loss of American lives. After all, this was during the days of the Flight 007 incident. Had Stalin been yet on the throne, his failure to act in accord with his training might easily have cost him his own life. Instead, unlike nine of ten other Russian spies known to have had contact with the West, during those tense days, they lost their lives at the hands of their Kremlin superiors. Mr. Petrov was merely reprimanded and relieved of his duties. That is, he was fired. This Stanislav Petrov had been the commander of a battery of ten ICBMs, all nuclear-tipped, all trained on targets in the U. S., a seasoned veteran and a ranking officer in the Russian Red Army, working as a stand-in temporary replacement on a shift not his normal assignment, Seoul. Colonel Petrov's heroism spared the unwitting Americans from the fate of a devastation that would have been total or complete, according to another ranking Soviet military official interviewed for the 1983 documentary after the incident became public in 1990, one that would have involved a salvo of around 350 ICBMs, all launched at approximately the same time. See the sidebar below. Savior of the World, P-145. America! Bless God! Thus a then-unforeseen hellish Armageddon, anticipated today with fear by all, envisioned and promised of God, was averted for the time being. That threat never disappeared, however. It never died. Having been lurking in the shadows, holding its breath for the past 29 years, as of 2012, it waits still, hidden in the wings, cloaked by the deception, if not the stupidity, of Bush's start too. Whatever happens between now and America's final hour, at some point, per John's revelation deliverance will elude us, altogether. There will be no Red Army commander to intervene. No Stanislav will be on hand to save us, once the hand of God drops his gauntlet. For this reason, instead of demanding that God should bless America, it is high time and long past due that the otherwise ungrateful, intractable American should follow the lead of those Christians in Indiana and bless God, giving thanks to the Holy One for the unlikeliest of heroes, of whom the overwhelming majority will never hear, Stanislav Petrov, 44 years of age, Lieutenant Colonel, Army Commander, USSR. He lost his job, according to some Western sources, although he insists it was voluntary early retirement. He suffered a nervous breakdown. He lost his family, thanks to a heroic decision that would avoid unnecessarily taking your life. I am not a hero, he says in genuine humility. I am just in the right place, at the right time, just in the right place, at the right time. See the sidebar below. A prophet without honor. P. By the grace of God, he has blessed us far more than far too many of us will ever know. God has blessed America. Now, America, bless God.
And that will do it for this edition of the Bible Prophecy Masterclass podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please tune in again next time for episode number 20 on the Bible Prophecy Masterclass. Until then, God bless you.